This is Secret Sauce, a podcast about the secret ingredients in artwork and life. I'm your host, Becca Borelli. I'm also an illustrator in Austin, Texas, and this episode is entitled Art at the Ballot. Yeah, we're going to talk about that today. (laughs) We're going to talk about election time. We're going to talk about mm, not really politics, but you know, you we're we're skimming politics, you know, elections are connected to politics. There's no way around that. And but I want to talk about casting votes, thinking about voting, thinking about candidates, thinking about our participation or not, because there's quite a few folks that don't participate in the voting process. Um, I want to talk about the way we engage or don't with this type of system, whether it's in the United States, which is having its election season starting now or in other countries. Um, I want to talk about the way that we engage with systems like that from the perspective of art and thinking about art and making art. And I'm wondering if maybe that could create a little expansion around the way that we think about voting. I mean, it has for me. And so I'm kind of hoping that maybe parts of it will for you too. Take what resonates with you. Leave the rest as always. So today's episode idea came to me this morning. Interestingly, I always hike with the dogs and Brayden in the mornings now. There's this really lovely nature preserve not far from our house. And it's as a new mom, it's become this almost haven for me. There's this beautiful very secluded, gorgeous system of trails. And then at the end, when we loop back towards our car, there's this huge field and it's full of, you know, people and dogs just conversing, having coffee before they go to work. The sun is coming up over the trees. It's wonderful, wonderful. And there's always people there, regardless of the weather. And I've gotten to know a lot of the regulars and they've gotten to know me and it's been really important for me. I I suppose that some people, myself before having Brayden included, <laughs> wouldn't relate to the loneliness that comes with parenthood, specifically motherhood. Um, even, even parents that continue to go into a work situation, an office situation, a situation with lots of people that they're communicating with, even then the the new situation <laughs> i keep using the word situation the the new circumstances we find ourselves in when we have a child even though we're surrounded by other people that have also gone through those circumstances it still feels very isolating and lonely and i think that that is a reflection on modern society more than anything a topic for another time but having community that you see regularly that is rooted in something not capitalistic, right? That's not rooted in consuming or working, you know, that's just for the sake of connection only is really important, especially on a daily basis in nature is huge. And so some of these relationships I have are very, you know, fleeting. Some of them I only see once or twice a month, you know, or some I see often. But the connections that I've made in this little park 
are special because they're rooted in something that's really pure. Like these people only talk to me because they want to. There's no, there's no reason to engage with me any other, for any other reason except a desire, a really pure and an innocent desire. And it's the same from my side. And there's this one woman who I've seen on and off. She's a nurse that works third shift. So she's always there in the morning with her dog and she and Brayden have this wonderful rapport. He loves her. She loves him. He's always giving her little smiles. And so we're chatting this morning, just, you know, how's the weather? How are you? Whatever. Innocent chit chat. And I noticed that she has the I voted button on early voting has started in Austin and many other places as well. And so yeah, I'm like, oh yeah, voting, voting. I gotta make some time for this. You know, it's gonna sneak up on me. And and then, you know, I stop thinking about voting and we start talking about other stuff. And she casually comments on the fact that Brayden looks really alert and happy and smiley more than more than normal. And and she's right. And and so I tell her, you know. Brayden actually at his 12 month appointment, he got blood work done and we discovered he was anemic and it really made a lot of sense. You know, we would be out in public all the time and people would always comment on how tired he looked and we knew he looked tired, but we also didn't really totally know what to do about it. He was getting more than enough sleep for his age. Um, but there were other things too, you know, his skin color was kind of like pale and he had circles under his eyes. And so we got this this news, it was not exciting news, but it was also, you know, helpful. We knew we could do some things and quickly his situation turned around and he's feeling so much better and looking so much better. And she, she chuckles and she says, you know, actually a few months ago I was diagnosed with anemia. And she said, the thing that was so crazy is that when my doctor, you know, showed me my blood work, he was like, you must be exhausted, you know, based on these numbers. And she said, you know, actually, no, I'm pretty, pretty fine, actually. And she said, I remember he gave me some side eye. And he's like, well, you need to start an iron supplement like now. And she said, Rebecca, I'll tell you what, like, it's wild how distorted your perception can get on something when it's all you know. She said, I would never in a million years have A, told you I was anemic and B, told you I was tired. I felt fine. She said, but once I started taking iron and I like had actual energy, I was like, oh, you were tired as shit. <laughs> like you were barely keeping it together. Is, isn't that interesting? And can some of you listening relate Maybe to a similar situation, maybe to a health situation, but maybe like any other type of situation where something becomes so normalized that it ceases to be like, it ceases to exist, right? Like some type of thing that to anyone else would be a thing is not a thing for you. In her case, it was anemia, right? If you had walked up to her and said, are you anemic? Are you tired all the time? She would have said, no, I'm great, right? Like, this is a very human thing, a very cultural thing. It's a thing that happens not just to individuals, but to whole societies of people where things become invisible for the simple fact that there's a lack 
of contrast. And when you introduce contrast, it immediately creates clarity. And this is a really artistic idea. Contrast is one of the principles of design. In art, their teachers will talk about the principles and elements of design often in studio art making. I, when I'm teaching adults or kids, I will describe the principles and elements almost as like the alphabet, right? When you're speaking or when you're writing, you put letters and words together to create language. And then you use those words and letters and language to weave stories and ideas and narratives that communicate all manner of things to people. It's the same with principles and elements, only they're visual, right? So the way that an artist will combine these things creates a visual language and contrast is one of them. And in the context of an artistic language, contrast is often used by artists in a a very common way. And there's, there's many ways that contrast is employed by visual artists, musical artists, um, poets, whatever. But one way that all manner of artists will employ contrast is to garner the attention of the listener, of the viewer, of you, right? Contrast is excellent at getting attention. If you are in the car and you're listening to some music and it's pretty like balanced and all of a sudden it gets incredibly loud even if it's just for a moment it gets your attention it snaps you out of whatever thought stream was going on in your head and it brings you into the present you're like oh music is on yeah and then you might go right back to thinking whatever you were thinking your to-do list for the day whatever but contrast functions as an attention getter in music all the time it often it absolutely functions as an attention getter in visual art. If you're looking at a painting that is all manners of types of blues, I'm using the word manner a lot today, like darks and lights and mediums, and they're all sort of gradients together. And then in the middle of this painting of blues is like a black and white circle next to each other. Your eyes can go to that black and white circle first. It's a knee-jerk reaction. It doesn't mean that you won't explore and consider the rest of the painting. It just means that you're wired to go to contrast first. And this is evolutionarily beneficial to all of us, right? If you are walking around your life and you put your hand on a hot stove, the contrast is instant. If you didn't have that contrast, you would really hurt yourself, <laughs> you know? Um, so... So artists use that sort of evolutionary predisposition to their benefit, right? We create things all the time without even necessarily realizing it that utilize this contrast as a way to say, you focus on this. I want you to focus on this part of the piece, whatever that piece is. Life, I believe, does this too, right? We have these moments of high contrast where it's life's way of saying this look at this notice this this is important <laughs> and this woman in the park had that experience with her anemia it's 
a seemingly mundane example, but it's one we can all relate to. And maybe you don't necessarily have anemia or even a health problem to speak of, but you can relate to these moments in life where things become invisible and then something happens and the contrast is jarring to your attention and it brings your focus inward. And you're like, oh, I see this thing so clearly now. And I didn't even realize I didn't see it clearly before. Like it was, it, for all intents and purposes, it was invisible before. And now I'm noticing it. This is an idea in art and in life that my, I believe most of us can get on board with. I don't think there's many people listening to this that wouldn't be like, yeah, I get, yeah, that resonates with me. Um, But when you take this idea, the value of contrast, right? And you apply it to election season, everything shifts. And for myself included. And I want to talk about that because it's interesting to me. And I think about this for myself all the time. So so here's what I'm, when I say everything shifts, here's what I mean. When I'm, contemplating my participation in the voting process, in the election process, in the political process in general, I often find myself thinking of things in a very binary way. As we all do, it's the system we have. Increasingly, larger and larger numbers of people are realizing that this system not only doesn't function very well, it probably doesn't function at all for what we need anymore. But initially, the two-party system was founded on this idea that contrast helps focus people's attention on what matters. And you have to have contrast to do it, right? If you remove one side of the contrast, attention completely dissipates, right? Like if you're standing in front of a white canvas your attention starts to meh, <laughs> you know? And that can function really well. We talked in the last episode about how field painters and abstract expressionists would use single-colored canvases as a way to internalize attention, right? Like if you're looking at something that's for all intents and purposes blank, it's lacking contrast of almost any kind, then your attention goes away from what's in your external environment and it goes internal. And that's a really beautiful thing. But when you're trying to garner attention and clarity on the external world and what's happening out there, contrast is hugely important. And in this way, our political system is artistic. I mean, that's kind of a weird way of looking at it, but it is that when you have the tension between seemingly opposites, it's really helpful in focusing everyone's attention and clarifying everyone's perspective on things. But we've moved really far away from the truth around this, right? And here's, like, let me just give an example from my life that maybe you can relate to. So I personally 
have pretty nuanced views on most things, right? But I have some really strong views on other things. And and let's just like keep this conversation completely analogous, right? Like let we we don't need to name what political views are to make this conversation work. In fact, it's probably going to work better if we don't talk about specific views, if we just talk about things in generalities. Can you relate, however, to having some nuanced views in some areas and some really black and white views in other areas? And in the areas that your views are very strong, in the areas where my views are very strong, it's really challenging for me to wrap my head around the value of contrast, right? Because I, in my own mind, imagine that if this other perspective, if this other type of person that holds this perspective would come to my side, the world and our communities and our lives and our experiences would improve dramatically. This is what is happening in our election and political process right now. And if you go, I mean, all you have to do is go on any type of media, whether it's traditional media, print media, online media, social media, and you see some version of this idea and then baked underneath all of the chatter and all the conversations is this sponsoring belief that if other ideas and other people would just come to my side, the world would improve. The world would improve. It's really, really tricky. How do we bring this value of contrast into, back into our political lives? How do we go in to vote in the next few days or weeks and look at certain candidates who represent ideas that we might find abhorrent and value them? You know? And I have no action steps for you to take here. Like I have no tips. I have no advice. I, yeah, totally, totally blank on that. But what I do know is that the other things... The other things, and I use the word other with a capital O, right? The things that we use with quotation marks, the other, (laughs) those other ideas, those other people, like almost a dirty word, right? In regards to that other, can we wrap our head around the way that those things really function artistically in our world. I was online just this morning and 
um, an activist who I really respect and love and a writer and an artist and like someone who I like follow because I really appreciate their perspective on things. Um, I noticed there was a post that she had done about the way that some folks will minimize the plight of others by calling for peace and everyone getting along. And she reflected on this by, by stating on her social media, it's easy to do that when you're in the privileged group, right? Not, it's, it's also really not helpful for those who are really struggling. It's a really apt reflection, and it's one that's important to consider um, right now. It, it really important to consider right now in the time and space we're in. But baked under that statement was this feeling, and I'm I'm only sharing my perspective here because I have no way of knowing what is under the surface of that statement for her. But when I read it. I felt this feeling under the surface of the statement, which was if everyone would stop calling for peace and harmony that are privileged, if if privileged folks would stop doing this, everything would get better. And I want to make sort of like a radical suggestion in this episode that that might not be the case. That those folks function as a really important part of the contrast needed to flesh out some of our collective problems together. That the tension between two sides has to exist. And when you wish one of them away, you're also wishing away the very tool that we need to handle these challenges. And I heard this metaphor the other day and that also I thought was so beautiful in regards to this, that the shock system in our cars um, functioned through tension between two poles and they literally balance our ride (laughs) and absorb all of the bumps and the cracks in the road and improve our travel tremendously. If you take away one side of the shock system, the balance is is completely interrupted. Is that the same for contrast in our art and in our life? Imagine, okay, so imagine standing in an art gallery. You are looking at a pure white canvas oh actually no let's let's step back let's say you're in a movie theater and everything in the theater is dark except for the screen which is brilliant and glowing and this functions this is an example of the way contrast is consciously utilized to not only draw people's attention where the theater wants the attention to go but it also improves the experience of the patrons in the theater because they get to immerse themselves in the art because all of the sensory information is blacked out around them, right? 
This is a really beautiful function of contrast. If you, you know, when the lights come on in a theater, doesn't it immediately change the way that you feel? It's like you're stepping back into the world again, right? Whereas when the lights were out, you were part of the movie world. It's a gorgeous example of contrast. Musicians do this too. If you go to a concert, almost never are the lights on, right? It's so much easier to be absorbed into the the sounds when the visual cues around the stage are removed. Yeah? So what happens then when we're contemplating our shared political, social, and cultural lives together. And there are ideas that we may perceive as incredibly bright and brilliant and artistic and good. And then ideas that we perceive as dark and unhelpful and even abhorrent, right? It's really easy to say those dark bad abhorrent ideas really need to go we i mean if the world could just all be shiny and bright and awesome then everything would get better i y'all i think this idea all the time this is like an idea that i grapple with like that it's not like i'm over here talking about this like i'm jesus right i don't (laughs) i have a very human perspective on this just like you but i think about this from the from the terms of art making that I know to be true and from the terms of living that I know to be true that contrast functions in this very valuable important way if you're standing in a theater with a really dark room and a bright screen and the screen is pure white like the purest most beautiful brilliant light that you could imagine luminescent with gold and roses i mean just like gorgeous right the gorgeousness of those colors of light are amplified by the dark around them if you remove the dark and the whole room becomes bright and luminescent and all shadow and all highlight goes away and now you're suspended in this color and you can't see the ceiling and you can't see the walls and you can't see the floor For a little while, this may feel cool, and then it becomes maddeningly disconcerting, right? Like the human brain needs contrast. Like one of the ways that, you know, you can torture a person is by removing contrast. That's why solitary confinement is so inhumane. When you remove contrast long enough from the human experience, one of the first things to break down is sanity. Like where do I exist in terms of this thing contrast is so incredibly valuable so why are we chasing a lack of contrast when we're voting when we're contemplating candidates when we're contemplating ideas i mean i'm i don't actually have an answer to that did you think (laughs) did y'all think i might i actually don't but that question is so absent from the discourse right now and it's really important. I, I mean, I just, the podcast is about that question. Like, I don't even know if we need to answer that question. I just think we need to have it. <laughs> it's like somewhere 
in our lexicon so that as we're moving forward, we're doing it in a way that works for us, that objectively works for us because contrast is part of how we function artistically and and humanly. <laughs> this isn't an episode about bad things being good, right? Like this isn't me saying, oh, little babies getting shot in schools is great because then we have contrast to make the beauty in the world better. That's, I mean, that's a terrible way of looking at it (laughs) and certainly not what I'm saying. And anyone that would say that is not someone that you should listen to for very long, in my opinion. (laughs) What I am saying though is that both and can be true. And and this is where artistic thinking gets really crunchy. And and this is why artists are in my opinion and I think you know, if you're listening to this and I'm talking to you because you're an artist. If you're listening to this, you are an artist. Being an artist is really crunchy in this way. Because artists are constantly confronting the both and of their work and life, right? That something can be very ugly and very beautiful and important at the same time. And when we start voting and when we go to the ballot box and when we consider candidates and when we think about politics, that both and breaks down. And I don't know if it was always that way. You know, I'm honestly not sure. I I don't have a historical perspective on voting. I know that in my lifetime, it's been that way. Most of our lifetimes, it's been that way. Um, I have lots of theories on why. I, I have a limited perspective on why. You know, I I'm talking to you as an artist here, not as a historian, not as a political scientist, not as anybody that has professional or scholastic understanding of these subjects, but I do have a really rooted understanding of art and living. And I do know that contrast functions in this very valuable way in our politics as well. And why is it that contrast is so valuable to us in so many ways, but not in our politics. And this is just one theory. And I think it's that it's incredibly convenient to fracture contrast when it comes to our shared lives together. Because when you fracture contrast and you convince large groups of people that contrast isn't necessary, it makes certain power structures much more powerful. There's, you know, very specific power structures and individuals that are benefiting from the breakdown in contrast in our voting situation, in our politics, in our ballots. There's power structures that benefit from us going into the ballot box, wishing a whole percentage of the population would change their mind, right? Like 
there's some really, really challenging issues that are in our faces politically right now that people have really strong feelings about. And rightfully so, because these issues have terrible consequences for many people, right? Like, this isn't suggesting that people are wrong for having these really fiery opinions and wishing that others would come to their side. Like, that's a very primal and normal response to the shit that we're seeing in the world. Can we hold both and? Can we say this absolutely would improve if it changed and I can value the way that you're holding the tension from your side so that we can collectively figure this out together? That idea is really triggering for people. It's triggering for me. I don't even know where I stand with it, but I know that it has tremendous value. And I know that we're suffering collectively because our society, especially in the United States, is having a tremendously difficult time holding an artistic perspective around our shared life together, around our voting, around our politics, right? That everything has become very fractured and if only the painting would become this one color everything would be better and I know I can already hear some people saying no 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 I don't want the painting to be one color I just want it to be the good colors (laughs) I can relate to that I can so relate to that and that's not how paintings work right like (laughs) Just setting aside the simple fact that what are good colors anyway? Everyone's idea of good colors is totally different, you know? And so, but even if we all shared, let's just for, you know, for the sake of argument, say that everyone shared this idea of what good and bad colors were, even then you can't, you know, a painting functions by having a range the bigger the range, the more the work functions. And the bigger the contrast, the, 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 the higher the clarity, right? When an artist wants to reduce clarity, they reduce contrast. This is, this is valuable. And I, I didn't know if I should record, you know, I have to be honest, I didn't know if I should record an episode on this because I don't have any answers. I didn't want to, I couldn't possibly come in here and tell you, Here's here's this idea about contrast and voting and election and politics. And this is where we go forward. Like I have no action steps for you. At some point, maybe in my life I might, I but I don't right now. And I don't and I think that's intentional. Like I think collectively we're not there. And but what is really important to me is the perspective shift. Like, can art expand the way that we approach our interaction with this process? I mean, it has for me tremendously. And, I, and I'm hoping that in some ways this podcast episode has improved and expanded some of your perspective, maybe only in a few areas, 
but but those areas can be helpful, yeah. I'm sure there's people that are like, I don't even vote Borelli. Like, I don't even, like, keep me away. Keep me as far away from the ballot box as possible. The entire system is corrupt. I want no part of it. And I can relate. There have been a few elections in my lifetime that I have, that I have abstained from. Um, I've chosen not to do that going forward because personally, the system that we have, um, is the system that we have. And, I want to shift as much as I possibly can using the tools that we have. That's just a personal belief, but I can relate to the frustration that people feel that would cause them to completely extricate themselves from voting. And this is a great example of where this tension can break down, right? There's whole swaths of people that say, if you don't vote, you're dead to me. <laughs> you're the problem, right? And and the law of contrast says, no, the presence of non-voters is creating valuable tension where we can work out our shared problems together. Your desire to have them disappear is also a desire to have the contrast disappear that we need for this to to figure itself out. Like the contrast of having people who are very passionate about this process as well as very disenfranchised by this process and the contrast between people who are like out there like making phone calls, knocking on doors versus people who are completely extricated and wouldn't step inside of a voting booth to save their life. The contrast between those types of people is creating this gorgeous focus for our entire culture to flesh out what the fuck we're doing here. It creates attention, not just attention as an A space T-E-N-S-I-O-N, it also creates attention as in one word, A-T-T-E-N-T-I-O-N. How interesting that those two things are so similar. That in the same way that those polar opposites create the contrast we need to see clearly, so did that woman in the park this morning, right? She had no idea that her health was going to shit. And without the contrast of these vastly different perspectives, there are whole swaths of our shared life together that would be going to the, I mean, (laughs) y'all, the first thing that I think of is going to the shitter, but that's like such a (laughs) crass thing to say. Like sometimes when I'm recording these episodes, the first thing that comes to my mind is so ridiculous, but that's (laughs) maybe a more eloquent way of describing it is that there's whole parts of our, of our collective body together that would become diseased invisibly, just like this woman in the park, her, her body was, was, deteriorating and it was invisible to her until she had contrast. I, yeah. What do you think about this? I, I, this is where I'm at. Like I'm, I'm in this place of deeply pondering the value of contrast and 
the value of people whose ideas I have complete disdain for. That I can have complete disdain for their ideas and possibly even for them. I don't think that's helpful, but let's be honest, we all can relate. (laughs) And also hold this artistic understanding that they are so profoundly valuable to this artwork that we're making together, that this artwork that I live in and without them, things would break down. This both and is wildly important when we're considering art in the ballot, art and voting, art and politics, art and our civic life together. Both and can be true. Yeah. I'm just curious what you think of this. Is it completely gross to you and you disagree totally? That <laughs> The irony is you matter. That opinion matters <laughs> in this conversation, right? And then there's other people who are like, everything about this podcast episode is me and it's beautiful and it's awesome. And you matter too, right? Like this is the gorgeousness of contrast in art and in life and in our shared experiences together. Yeah. What do you think? I just, I want to know. This is the end of the podcast. I have nothing else except questions to share, but those questions matter. And I think those questions would change the way that we make decisions when we're voting, not just for candidates, right? But when we're voting on what we eat and when we're voting on who we love and when we're voting on where we work, (laughs) all the ways that we vote in our lives would change when we think about it this way. It has for me at least. So I love y'all until next time. Peace.